You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our Simpsonville teaching pastor, Jason Thompson. We're going to be in the second half of chapter 5 of Ephesians this morning and the first part of 6 because it all really goes together. And let me just say up front that I am... I recognize that this passage of Scripture carries with it a lot of baggage. There's been a lot of twisting. There's been a lot of false teaching. Satan has used this for his purposes, this passage. But God intended this passage for our protection and our benefit and our blessing. And so I'm going to ask you to try your best to lay the baggage to the side this morning and just listen to this with, with fresh ears and fresh eyes and try to embrace what God is intending for these, these verses and that I think it actually can really change your life for the better. So let's go ahead and look at verse 21 of chapter 5 of Ephesians. I'm going to be reading from the NIV. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, if we would just listen to this first, we could close the book and kind of like go home and just have lunch, all right? Like, but the problem is we are hard-hearted and we stop up our ears and it's not easy for us to just take one verse. Like Paul needs to unpack it more so we really embrace like, what does that mean in every situation? But this is the heart of Christian service. This is the heart of the gospel is this idea of, of submitting, like turning your life over to God but, so, but that's what Jesus modeled in the first place, too. And what are the two most important commandments in the Bible? To love God with all your heart, all right, and to love others more than yourselves, right? You're supposed to give, you're supposed to submit to the Lord in all things, and then you're supposed to think about the other people's good ahead of your own. That's really hard to do because we want what we want, all right? We want, we want to focus on ourselves, and our needs, and our wants. But God says, hey, if you just trust me, focus on God, focus on our people, I will fill your life with peace and joy and blessing. Just gotta trust me. Submit to the process. All right, but let's get into it. Verse 22. Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. His body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. That's just hard to hear, right, ladies? That, that is just like, what's going on? Like, not only is he said that it's, he's the head, but then he's compared to Christ, and the whole dynamic between Christ and the church is used as a metaphor for how the relationship work between husband and wife. And then follows it up with saying, submit in everything. What? Like, like, does he know that your husband is frustrating and something that doesn't know best? Like, like, why would scripture teach this? Why wouldn't he just make them equal in every way, shape, and form? Does he not think women have the same value? Does he not cherish them in the same way? Does he think of them as second-class citizens? I want to say this unequivocally. No, that is not the case. You have equal value in God's eyes. You have equal intrinsic worth. You are both, we are both made in the image of God. And, And scripture tells us 
men and women are co-heirs of glory, all right? They have, they have the same access to spiritual gifts. They are just as smart, just as talented, all these different things. No, there's, there's equal value and worth in God's eyes. So then why does he do this? Why isn't there just, why aren't they on the, the same level of the hierarchy in the family? I'm gonna give you a couple of illustrations to help you understand this. I don't know how many of you are into football. I'm a big sports nut, all right? But there's a saying in football that if you have two quarterbacks, you essentially have no quarterbacks, all right? Because if you try to put two people as leading the team, orchestrating the offense, and you kind of interchange them and start different ones at different times, there is chaos. The people don't rally behind those leaders. Those quarterbacks don't take the leadership role of the team. There's more turnovers. There, there's poor communication. It just doesn't work. It's kind of like the same thing as having two cooks in the kitchen. You can't have two of equal status. You can have helpers in the kitchen. You can have one in charge and telling the other cooks that can cook just as well what to do, but you can't have two people being in charge in the kitchen because things will get missed. Things won't be taken out of the oven. Ingredients won't get tossed in there. And I know that a lot of you can relate to this last one. You can't have two bosses. If, have you ever had two bosses at work? Because sometimes the, the paradigm is that you're kind of like reporting to two different people. And there's always miscommunication. There's always finger pointing and blaming. You don't know who to take problems to. It is a disaster. It doesn't work. Life works in hierarchy in every way. In the political realm, in the civil realm, in the, in the family realm, in the work environment, it always works better in hierarchy. God created that way in as much as it works in God. Like it's a mystery, but there here is one God that exists in three persons. And they do not have the same role. They don't act the same way in every way. They always act in agreement, but you have the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And the Son willingly submitted to the Father when he came to earth in all things. And then Christ didn't just submit to the Father, submitted to very flawed human parents and very flawed religious leaders and then a very flawed evil Roman Empire government. And he submitted in all these different ways. He says, because this is the way. He modeled for us what it should be like. And he says, I don't do anything unless my Father tells me to. And that is the King of kings and the Lord of lords who is omniscient and all-powerful. And so it, it just works better in roles. So then, ask the question, well, why didn't he put the woman in charge? Seems like there wouldn't be as many wars and problems and issues in the world if he would just put a woman in charge, right? And like, why is that, that dynamic that way? Now, I, don't, I can't say for certain. Some people say that it's because of the fall, all right? And it's like, Eve ate the fruit, and so you were just cursed the rest of the time that you have to be, you know, the, the, you have to submit to the husband's authority, I don't buy that. I don't buy that for several different reasons, but one of the reasons is very simply, Eve ate it first. She's the one that bought into the lie, and yet Adam had the greater responsibility. Like when the curse happened, like Eve was cursed relationally, and childbirth was harder, and then she was gonna struggle with, for over control with her husband. But Adam's curse was for the whole world. Like the whole world was cursed and, and work was made harder and it was providing for the family was made harder. And then if you look at the New Testament, Adam's the one blamed for the fall. One man is the reason for the fall. And so even in that, that garden, even, there was a relationship dynamic where Adam had the ultimate responsibility. The weight of that was put on his shoulders. 
And so I don't know exactly, but I also think in how God designed men and women, it, may, it is a logical decision. Not because men are smarter, not because they are better in God's eyes, but when God made Adam first, and that, and that it could be because he just made him first, like he first come, first serve, I don't, all right? That's a possibility, but I think it's more to it than that, all right? I think Adam, and the way he was designed, God looked at Adam and said, okay, it's not good for you to be alone. I am gonna design for you the perfect partner. Now think about this. God could have done reproduce society in any way he wanted to. He could have come and just said, you know what, I'm gonna make, take some more dirt and I'm gonna make a, a bro for you and just kind of create a couple, like a bro friendship group for you to hang out with. You guys can wrestle and, and go do sports and have a great time. I'm just gonna make a bunch of men, all right? And you guys can all hang out and you won't be alone and you can go fishing and you can do all these different things, all right? He could have done that, all right? But that's not what he said was best. He looked at man and said, what is the ideal partner for this person to go through life? And together, he put them together and to perfectly complement their strengths and weaknesses. So they would have to rely on one another and do life together to get the most blessing out of his creation. That's what he did, that's how he designed it. But again, there had to be some kind of order to it. And I don't know that we would have so much problem with God's order if we would just pay attention to these next verses. So let's look at them. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, whoever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. So this is the first point I wanna leave with you with today, is that I don't think we would hate submission if we were submitting to someone who is Christ-like. I do not think we would hate submission if we were submitting to Christ-like people. What makes it hard is God constantly asks us to submit to people that are very flawed and sinful. And so I really, if you think about it, you know, there's been a big push the last hundred years, especially towards feminism, all right? And this idea of, you know, they're tired, women were tired of men abusing them, manipulating them, coercing them, not giving them a voice, telling them to be quiet, not giving them any influence, not giving them any control. And you're like, you know what? We don't need a man, all right? We can do this on our own. We can do everything on our own. We don't need them. And they started fighting for their rights and started to just kind of view it as, hey, men and women are equal in every way. We can do whatever a man can do and that kind of mentality. But what we've seen in society, all right, there was, again, there was, I think, a necessary course correction, but what we've seen in society now is we've, we've seen that experiment play out. And what has turned out is that there is a, it has been a skyrocketing of broken homes. There are more single-parent homes than there have ever been in, in the history of the world, right? There's also a skyrocketing of mental health issues, people struggling with identity, people depressed, people suicide, all these different things. There has been a breakdown of morality in the, of the family. There's been more sexual permissiveness and all these kind of things and, and, and just, 
a corrupting of what God intended for sex. There's been all these different things that were a problem. And you're like, are, are you blaming women for all these problems in society? No, no. Actually, I would, I would do what God would do and put the responsibility on the man not doing what he was supposed to in the first place. If men in the family would live like Christ, lay down their lives and give up themselves for their wife and kids, then there wouldn't be a need of just disconnecting from, from men's authority and power and control. Men were never intended to boss people around, to always tell them what to do, to act like they have all the power and authority and, and that they're the only ones that are worthy and make other people feel like second-class citizens. That is ungodly. The godly way to be a man is to lay down your life and protect others. And I do think there's something to the fact that God gave men more strength, more endurance. There's all, even the way they think. Like women, again, just as intelligent, just as capable in so many different ways. But I don't know if you've heard the, you know, the analogy, the metaphor, waffles and spaghetti. All right. Men are like waffles, women are like spaghetti, because men can compartmentalize. We can put it in a box and we can move on with our lives, all right? Like, we, like it could be something bad happens, we put it in a box and we're just not focusing on it anymore. Women, like everything is connected. Everything throughout the day, everything in their lives, everything is, is weaving together and connected. Guys just will put it in a box and move forward. And so when you're talking about enduring the attacks of the enemy, during um, difficult seasons, going, going to war, having to literally protect and shield your family, then it, it makes sense why God gave men the, the gifts he did. But it wasn't to abuse, it wasn't to manipulate, it wasn't to coerce, it was to be a shield of protection, to lay down your life so you can make the life of your family better, so they could be exactly what God has called them to be. That's how it should work. But because men were not living the way the Bible taught them to live, then there's all kinds of chaos. And so I don't think we should throw off any kind of gender roles or any kind of hierarchy or any kind of this dynamic. We should just do it God's way. So let's keep reading now. I love this, this last part here. Verse 31, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. It is a profound mystery how two very different people with very different mindsets can come together and become one flesh. When I uh, was dating my very lovely, talented wife, we've been married for about six years, um, and when I was dating her, I would go over to her house while she was getting ready, and, just, and, and when I would go over there, I, I gotta admit, it would stress me out just walking into her house because everything was neat and orderly. Everything was put away Everything was pristine. You could eat food off her hardwood floors. I am not kidding. Like that five-second rule, that's like a minute and a half rule on her, on her floors right there. Uh, and like the, back, the carpet, there were vacuum lines. Every time I came over, I was like, did you just vacuum? Like, what is, do, does, does anybody live in this house? And so I was like, I don't know if I can live this way. I held on to one small hope. 
And that was, she would not let me go into her garage. Like she forbid me from ever looking in her garage. And I'm like, it must be a mess. This must be where she keeps a mess. And so I, I know it was wrong, but she went upstairs to get changed. I snuck into her garage. And I kid you not, when I opened that door, I was like, I'm gonna have to break up with her. I mean, that's just how, it, how it's gonna be. There was no spot of dust on the floor of her garage. Everything was in bins. Everything, there was space around the vehicle. I've never seen that before. Like, that, that's where clutter goes. Like, you just basically make a room for your car. That's what I knew. And so I was like, I cannot live this way. But I'm here. We are still happily, we are happily married to this day because we compromise. All right, I live 80% cleaner than I've ever lived in my entire life. But she is, she would say she lives 80% messier. So we came to, a, we came to a, a reasonable conclusion. And this is how marriage is supposed to work. You're supposed to come together, make decisions, and work things out. All right, there are some things that she just knows more about. I let her make the decision. There are some things that I know more about. She lets me make the decision. And we try to work everything out and be on the same page that is what a marriage should look like. Now, occasionally, we have to agree to disagree. And even in those agreements, sometimes I let her have her way. Sometimes she lets me have my way. It is only, the only time I would ever step in and say, all right, I'm gonna make this decision, is if I thought it was a point of sin, all right? That's it. Like, otherwise, it's a give and take, and you do, it to, you do lead together. Because there shouldn't be any division in a marriage, because you are one flesh, let no one separate what God has joined together. And so there shouldn't be this dynamic of bossing around. That, that makes no sense whatsoever. The man's supposed to lay down his life, and the woman is supposed to submit to that because he's being Christ-like. And when this goes sideways is when people are not doing what God has called them to do. But let's keep reading. It goes on with more of this family dynamic. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. This is a, a direct quote from Exodus 20, the, the Ten Commandments, and he reminds, he reminds children, like, look, you're supposed to obey your parents. You're supposed to honor your parents always, all right? Doesn't mean that when you're an adult that you actually do whatever your parents tell you to do. That's not the case. But you should honor and respect them always. And while you're living under their roof, you have to respect their authority. And so he's saying, like, this is the first, this is the first commandment with a promise. It's a general promise. It's not an explicit promise that means, like, in every situation, this is the case. Because obviously, some obedient kids die young. But this is a general promise that if you submit to your parents' authority and you honor them, then you will have a longer life. And so submission is very important to God. You have to do the things that God tells you to do. But look, he turns it around too. He says, verse four, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. We should not be leading in such a way that our children are exasperated, that they don't understand why we make the decisions that we make that we're constantly crushing their hopes and dreams, that they don't feel listened to. That is not how Christ said to lead. And so here, the second point I wanna share with you is if we're demanding submission from others, then we're doing it wrong. If we're demanding submission from others, then we are doing it wrong. 
And I recognize that when you have young children, there's times where you're just gonna have to demand that they obey. And sometimes you'll just have to pick up that kid, that runner, out of the street so they don't get hit by a car, right? You gotta physically force them to do the things. But the goal in parenting is to get them to a place of independence, not codependence, independence, so that they can follow God on their own and live a godly life on their own. And so we're constantly fostering that dynamic. And so if, we're, if we hear ourselves constantly saying, because I said so and I'm the boss, like that's not healthy. It's not healthy in marriage. It's not healthy in parenting. It's not healthy in the working environment. Like if we find ourselves constantly demanding that people submit to our authority and just do what we told them to, then the problem's probably not with whoever's underneath us, it's probably with us. We are not leading like Christ. Because if we were laying down our lives and we were loving other people and, and thinking about their best interests and communicating clearly with them, they would want to follow us. They'd be happy to submit to our leadership. They would want to be on our team. And there will come a chance, there's, there's always fools, there's always people, there, there are evil people in this world. So there will come times where there have to be consequences to actions. You need to set standards and there's gotta be consequences and sometimes that'll mean firing somebody. Sometimes there'll be strict punishment for children. All right? Sometimes there, there, there will be issues. But the goal is to lead in such a way that those people want to follow you. And this is why, as Paul is saying, if you will submit to one another and do things God's way, then it won't be hard and you won't have these conflicts. All right, let's keep reading. This is where it gets a little tricky. Verse five. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. So obviously this is a touchy verse because it was twisted and misused in, in the South during the 17 and 1800s to justify slavery and to convince those slaves that this is what they need to do. They didn't bother reading the next few verses, which we will in a little bit, but they just used these verses to be like, see, God condones slavery and God is okay with it and slaves, you should be respecting and fearing your masters and doing whatever they tell you to do. Let me be very clear up front. God does not condone slavery. God does not like slavery. It is not his best. The only reason that he has ever tolerated it is because of just men's sin, mankind's sin, and creating cultural situations where it has at times been necessary and at times it's just tolerated because it's so pervasive. And so God is speaking to the cultural context in, in the people's cultural context. But he does not, not ever want slavery, especially the kind of slavery that we're talking about in the 17, 1800s in, in the Deep South. All right, and I have lots of evidence for that. If you want a, a big, very clear picture on this, you can listen to our apologetics uh, podcast uh, that we do for Renovation Church. I go into an exhaustive list, a look at the scriptures and, and, and share all different points about that. You can sign up for that anytime and get access to that podcast. But let me just give you a breakdown of it. First of all, 
all right? It is very clear in the Old Testament that anyone that kidnapped another person was, that was a capital punishment offense, all right? You were supposed to kill people that kidnapped and sold other people into slavery. That was completely outlawed for the Israelites and for God's people. The only kind of slavery that was allowed in God's, God's kingdom, of, among God's people, was an indentured servitude. It was like a bond servant, where you, a, a person willingly said, hey, I wanna work for you for six years so that I can get ahead in life and, and be protected and be well-fed and kind of make a way for myself. So people would willingly basically be a contract where you would have to, they would have to work and be a servant to the person. Right? The only slavery that did not have an expiration date like that was that there was a, a period of time where God said the Israelites could buy slaves from other countries, the other people groups, and that they could keep those slaves for a longer period of time. You're like, well, that, that doesn't seem right. Like, that seems like it's condoning slavery. All right? This is, a period, this is not what God wanted and intended. It's, it's something that he allowed because of the hard heart of men and women. But I think... It's, it was actually a blessing. I want you to think about this, all right? You have people that have been captured by evil men and women. Oh, sorry, evil men. It wasn't women doing slave trading, all right? They've, they've been captured, all right? They have no law. They are not doing things God's way, all right? Those slaves are in one of the worst living experiences that you can experience. You don't know who you're gonna be sold to. You don't know how it's gonna work out. But God permits Israel to take and buy these people to bring them into a safe place where they can find out about the one true God, where they can live under a, a, a government that is protected by God's laws and that they can have a new life, all right? And so I think it was a mercy. It's never God's intention that people own other people. That's an evil, all right, but, it's, but God has, has spoken to people on how to regulate it because he knows people are gonna do it anyway. And so I wanna talk about this particular passage and the time period that Paul was living in. All right, you may not know this, but historians estimate between 10 to 20% of the Roman Empire population were slaves. I want you to think about that. And the number almost doubles in urban areas, in cities. And so while people were walking around, one in four, one in five people that they were walking around were slaves. It was common. It was everywhere. And it wasn't a racial thing. It wasn't a black and white thing or anything else. What they saw, they, most of the slaves were white. Most of the people were captured from, from European conquests and different things like that, Asian conquests. And so they, they were of all kinds of different mixes. You couldn't tell who was a slave very easily unless they were branded. And the slave dynamic had a wide spectrum. You had awful situations where they, they were slaves in the mines and they were gladiators that were fighting for their life and they had sex slavery, awful, awful conditions. But then you had a lot of just household servants that lived pretty easily and had a lot of freedoms. Then you had doctors and lawyers and teachers. Most of them were slaves, they were basically bond servants who were trying to get their freedom or at least carve out a living for themselves because it didn't have universal health care and universal education back in the society. 
And so people struggled to survive, so they would often sell themselves into slavery. And so when Paul is addressing this issue, he is talking to a wide spectrum of people, and it was much more similar to a boss-worker relationship. It wasn't the same. We have a lot more freedom in America in the boss-worker relationship, but it was like this dynamic of being like a a boss and then a, a worker underneath it. And so why does he spend so much time instructing the slaves to do this? And it's kind of short in the next part. Well, actually, let me read verses nine and let's see this. So he, he talks to the slave first, then he talks to the master. In masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. Think about that. There is no favoritism with God. Does it matter if you're male, female, black, white, rich, poor, slave, free? There's no favoritism in his eyes. It's just who is going to follow him and who's going to obey him. And so it tells the master plainly, like, look, they're equal in his eyes. It it wasn't don't beat him. It was don't even threaten him. Allow him to willingly submit to you. I think why he spends so much time addressing the slaves is there's a lot of historical documents that point out that most Roman leaders didn't like Christianity because it seemed to be a religion for women and slaves. They're like, why are all these women and outcasts and poor flocking to Christianity? Because Christianity had the good news. It made people equal. And God it told them that they were equal in God's eyes and they had intrinsic value. And there was this hope for a next life. And so people in those group demographics flocked to that message. And, and the men in charge were like, ew, I, like, I don't want to have anything to do with Christianity because it's attracting these types. And so in, in, in the homes, in the churches, they're seen, slaves are like, hey, we're brothers and sisters. Like, you can't boss me now what to do. Like, we're equal in God's eyes. And they were actually not fulfilling the, the obligation that they had to obey their masters. And so they had to, there had to be course correction. But then to the masters, it's like, hey, don't, don't, even, don't threaten to punish them in a, in a severe way. Just challenge them in Christ to do what they're supposed to be doing in the first place. And so we need to understand that, that God had a reason for everything he wrote, and, it, and it, the world will try to twist it, but that's not what God's intention was. I want to close with this last point, and it's, it's, it's important. If you remember one thing, I hope that you'll take this away. If we want to be great disciples, we must be great at submission. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, then you must be great at submission. There is a spirit inside of us that wants more, that wants our way, that wants recognition, that wants more money, more influence, more of a voice. We want more stage time. We want to be the ones that are teaching. We think we can do better than somebody else. In a lot of cases, we can, right? We have incredible gifts, and, and who God puts in our authority is not always the smarter person or the most capable person. I had to learn this the very hard way when I first started teaching. My first year of teaching, the first semester went great. 
like my principal loved me. He thought I was a rock star. Like all the kids loved me. The kids were selling on their, their testing and it was going extremely well. But it was a Title I school that has a very high poverty level and they make you do all kinds of jumping through hoops. There's all kinds of documents you have to fill out. There's so many meetings that you have to attend. There's just so much. I just wanted to teach. And on top of all the things that we had to do, our principal started implementing a new homework policy that was going to put a lot on our kids' plate that I didn't think was going to be good for them, and it's going to put a lot on our teacher's plate. And so I pushed back and said, I don't think this is a good idea. And he basically came back and said, hey, this is what I want to do. Just do it. And so then I decided it would be a good idea to write one of the snarkiest emails that have ever been written. And it started off with something to the effect of, oh, thank you, oh, great benevolent dictator for your wise uh, wisdom and intellect. I bow to your supremacy. I will immediately implement this policy that in no way, shape, or form is a complete waste of time. Signed, Jason, right? Like I say, it was, it, was, it was the stupidest decision in the world. But I was frustrated and annoyed. I knew it was a bad idea. Needless to say, that did not go well for me. Like, it was not received in love and care. This guy was a narcissist who, when I was doing what he wanted me to do, like, loved me and immediately turned. He actually tried to fire me. I had done nothing else beside that email, but he, like, brought in people from the district and was like, can I just fire this guy? And they're like, I think he was kind of joking and tongue-in-cheek. And they're like, he's like, I just want to fire him. And the rest of that semester, I did not get fired, but the rest of that semester, I knew that he hated me. I, everything was hard, everything was awkward, and the stress went through the roof. Now, to this day, I believe that that policy was stupid. I think that guy was a bad leader. But my life would have been so much better if I would just submitted to his authority. Romans 13 teaches a very hard thing. And it says that all authority in our lives comes from God. All authority. The political spectrum, the civil spectrum, church world, the office environments, home life. Every person that is placing authority over us comes from God. And we are to submit to that authority. The only, that basically, reasons not to submit to the authority in your life I think there are two. I'm going to say two. I only said one in first service, and I regret that now. First one is this. If they try to cause you to sin, because our submission is always to Christ first. So we do what our authority asks us to do unless what they're asking us to do causes us to go against our conscience or go against God's teaching and cause us to sin. And at that, we have to submit to the Father. We have to submit to God. The other thing is I want to make clear is that we are not called to submit to abuse. We are not called to submit to harm unless God makes it very clear that that is the case. That is not a universal practice. And so I wanna make it very clear that if you are a woman that is being abused physically, emotionally, you are not asked by God to submit to that. You should take that to the authorities and you should take that to the church. And the church is doing what we've been called to do, which is to lay down our lives and protect those that are under our authority, then we will make sure that does not happen anymore. So get to a safe place and let other people take care of it for you. Come alongside you and love you and take care of you. If you are a child, 
that is a victim of ongoing abuse. Don't let that parental figure be God in your life. God loves you. God wants better for you. Help us help you. Alert authorities, alert us. Let us come in, because that should never happen. It should never happen. And in every environment, working environment, civil environment, whatever it is, unless God has called you to be a martyr and you've got clear, defin- you've got clear confirmation of that, then that is not the kind of submission that we're talking about. But outside of that and outside of sin, then, yeah, there are gonna be times where your authority tells you to do foolish things and makes foolish decisions that you know are bad for the working environment, that you know that are bad for the home. But God will honor you in the way that you submit to others. Submit to God first, submit to others, and things will be better. We cannot be great disciples without submission. And this spirit of wanting to do it our way is the spirit that God rebuked among his disciples. They were arguing over who's gonna be the greatest, who's gonna sit at the right hand of the Father. He's like, no, 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 you don't understand. If you wanna be great in my kingdom, then you gotta be willing to be last. You gotta be willing to be a servant. You have to be willing to not care about your own needs and care about the needs of others. That's the only way to be great in my kingdom. You have to be humble and you have to serve. And this is why he went after the fisherman. He went after the tax collector. He went after the woman who had been freed from demonic possession and used her to share the good news of him being risen from the grave. He used a woman at a well who had been divorced five times and was living with a person to be his evangelist to a city. He likes using people that don't expect to be used because they don't make it about them. We are strong in our weaknesses because it's God's power working through us. He can't use someone who thinks they're already great because then they won't use God's power, which is the only way to accomplish ministry work. He only wants people who do not think they're worthy of serving God because he'll take them and show them that they are called, then he will empower and equip them and they will do great things for his kingdom. And that is the only way to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so I wanna challenge you in the church to live and model that out. And if you're here today and you have never done the first step of submission, you have never submitted to Jesus in the first place and turned your life over to him. I promise you, his way is better. His yoke is easy and light. The world will tell you doing it your own way is better and that will lead to pain and destruction. But if you will do it Jesus' way and you just confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you, that you are a sinner that need his salvation and turn your life over to him, then he will pave a way that will go beyond your wildest imaginations of what you can accomplish and the peace and joy that you can experience. So I hope that you will not leave here today before talking to someone and saying, I wanna make that decision. I wanna give my life to Christ. And for the rest of us, it's a daily submission where we die to self and live for him. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity to share with an awesome church body. There is so much incredible service going on in this body, Uh, so many people involved, so many people connected. I love to see what's going on in Greenville. 
And I pray that we as a people, as a church, will repent of the ways that we thought our way is better than yours. I pray that we will get back to scripture and to trust you, not listen to false teachers, but to embrace your word, how it was meant to be taught. And I pray if there's any area in our life where we're struggling to admit to, to submit to the authority that you've put in our lives, I pray that you'll give us the strength to take that step of submission. I pray that we will operate under your authority. I pray that we will speak wisdom and discernment and do everything that we can under that authority and just wait on your timing to do greater things. Lord, thank you for all the ways that you have served us first. Help us to serve you the way that you've called us to serve. And I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. As always, the prayer team will be down here. Church, we love you, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.